You're listening to She's Got Drive podcast, the podcast that inspires women to be the driver in their own life through the life and stories of black women with drive. And I'm your host, Shirley McAlpine. I'm a business consultant, an executive coach, and a leadership facilitator, working with people and organizations to live their lives by design and not default. This is the part two of the episode following on from last week where I interviewed Dr. Shalee Sims, who was one of my women who attended the Apollo launch back in May. And this is part of my Apollo summer series where I'm interviewing those women who were at the Apollo with me to find out more about them and their life. And Dr. Shalee is someone who is a vice president of academic affairs at SUNY College at Old Westbury. She's been featured in publications as as group decisions and negotiations journal and international perspectives of social entrepreneurships research. She sits on the board of a YMCA and she's also um, sits on the board of the Teachers Federal Credit Union as well, which is one of the largest credit unions in the country. She was so insightful and so powerful in her interview that I, I've split it up so this is part two now if you've only if this is the first time you're listening to she's got drive and you're coming at this episode it's fine to listen to this one and go back to listen to part one that that we published last week because they kind of stand alone as well they were kind of very two distinct parts of the interview you know you'll enjoy both sides but I invite you to go back and listen to the first part as well particularly if you're interested in the whole academic space and PhD world and how to be successful and get the code around that. That's certainly an episode to listen to. In the meantime, though, if you are enjoying listening to She's Got Drive, please go over to iTunes, rate and review the show. It's how we grow the show. Invite a friend to listen to the show. Share it on your Facebook page, on your, on your, on your Instagram. You know, share She's Got Drive. It's inspiring to hear the impact that it's having when people are listening to it. And I really have a vision for women to get tools and ideas about how they can be more successful in the work that they're doing, whatever that work is, by being inspired by these stories and actually understanding and learning some of the things that these women are using to be successful in work. And so if you have friends who are in the in whatever profession they're in and wanting to and you think they can benefit from listening to these stories then please invite someone to listen to it this week if you haven't headed over to my website shirleymcalpine.com i invite you to do that and if you go there you can download my it's like a journal ebook on how to be a woman with drive some exercises some reflective exercises for you to think about what's your vision for the future, what are the things that you'd like to be working on, and what are the things that if you made two or three changes can make a big difference to you. So that's a free ebook that I'm providing for people who are listening. Head over to shirleymcalpine.com and you can get a a download of that ebook. If you listen to the episode on pie performance image and exposure getting so much feedback on that so much so that i'm thinking that we're going to put together a webinar 
on that too to get more information more deeper dive go for a course on that because it's a very powerful episode on a model for career enhancement on how what really matters in getting ahead so head over to my website then you can get a free download on the pie model a description of that and um, some ideas on things that you can do to increase your performance impact and um, exposure in pie so head over to there too in the meantime let's listen to the second part of the my interview with dr chalet sims again prepare to be inspired i want to kind of come back to your like your family and in the early part of the interview you said that your mum said to you you should become an academic and you were like nope you then you end up doing what your mum said you should do so I'm, I'm curious about your relationship as you were with your mom or as you were growing up and how that has influenced where you are today. My parents divorced, I think I was maybe nine. It's hard to remember, mostly because my father's always been a presence in my life. I don't remember when he wasn't a presence in the house. It really was my mom as kind of the trooper and the one who was paving the way. You know, my mom was... No nonsense. She just was, uh, she had an energy, she has an energy that is very hard to contain. So she went from, you know, same kind of thing, had kids early trying to figure out what she's going to do. And she went from being an employee to running the largest summer youth employment program in the country. And that is from her just She's like this short, compact powerhouse that just kind of kept going and kept moving and, you know, people couldn't really stop her. And they recognized always what her um, capacity to lead was. She instilled that in both of us. I think it came out in different ways. Uh, My sister is a top exec as well. Definitely mirrors my mom in that same way of tiny women who have these big personalities and are strong leaders and... But not only just strong leaders, because I think what I got mostly from my mother was compassion in leadership. So really seeing people and seeing what they needed, not necessarily what they wanted, taking care of people while you lead so that they can move on and take care of themselves as well as taking care of others in their future. Um, And that is what I got most for my mom is that sense of you have to really see people, look at them, pay attention to what they're saying, listen to what they're saying, take the time out to have real conversations with people, look them in the eye so that you can really hear what they're saying and see how you can better contribute to their lives. And that has been what I think I take with me in the classroom is giving people a voice no matter who they are and making sure that when you come out of my classroom that you feel that you've been heard, that you got a lesson based on um, the fact that I heard what you needed and that it has empowered you in a way that you might not have been empowered before, right? And so, because, and that's my, my sister always says that about, you know, when you have the responsibility for training people and looking after people, You should not care if they do better than you in the future. That's what you're there for. You're there to ignite whatever flame they have and make sure that they have the tools 
so that they move forward and live out the dream that they have. Yes. And you can't be so such a small person that you would, you know, only provide so much fuel that they can only go so far. Right. That's responsibility. And that and really that's taking advantage of your responsibility because your goal, you're there to light people up. Period. And that's what you do. That's your responsibility as the leader. If you can't do that, then you should not be in that position. Yes. I've got nothing to say about that. I'm just a big sigh. I love that. I think my mother would love to hear that too because, you know, like you've had this drive podcast going on for a while. A running theme has been, you know, you undervalue what you bring to the world very often. I think I've seen my mother definitely undervalue what it is, the impact that she's had on people. Yes. And I, I actually, the job I have now, I, the a guy that I work with, we're talking. I was like, oh, like my mom used to run that program. He's like, who's your mom? And I told him, and he, now he hasn't worked with my mother in 25 years. But when you hear the spark that that lit him up when he spoke about his experience with my mother. I need for her to know those things, to recognize that you have left a wake of um, impact, positive impact, that people have grown and developed because you had a place in their lives. And a lot of times we don't get to see that. Exactly. So when you move on and you don't know what happens to the people you came in contact with, so it, you, it's good to hear while you're alive that this is what you did for me. And I cannot be any more grateful than I am right now. Right. Right. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful that you got to hear that from this guy that you met, mm-hmm. you know, that he, that he, that he knew your mom, he met your mom and the impact that she's had on, on his life. And, and, and you know her and you know the impact that she's obviously had on your life in being, and being your mother that's 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 so great you know the coming we do as you said we never really understand fully the impact that we have and there are just sometimes moments when we get to hear it uh you know a couple of times i used to lead programs to large groups of people and so in that, after a while, I mean, you, you know people by face, but sometimes you lose their name. You know, I mean, I've, I've, I've delivered, I've been delivering training for 20 some years. So over the years, you know, <laughs> and you meet people in the strangest places. Like I've been on a flight from London to Houston. I got up to go to the bathroom. It's three o'clock in the morning. And I thought, oh, let me stop and see if I can get some water. And there is someone who's been in one of my programs. And it's just like, oh my God, you know, changed my life it was such a fantastic experience and I was like it's three o'clock in the morning I'm on a flight to Houston who knew so I get into this like well tell me what happened what's happened since you did it and you know how's it changed and what's happening at work I think this is crazy that it's happening but I love to hear that because you don't always get to hear the difference that you've made because Nice to hear it. And it's lovely to hear it because in those moments you think, yeah, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Keep yeah. keep going. Keep going. Yeah. 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 Well, your mother sounds such a wonderful, wonderful woman. Yeah. 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 Such a wonderful woman. If we look at what then drives you and what motivates you, 
What is it? Um, I think the thing that motivates me most is that I feel blessed. I feel endowed with certain gifts. And so I feel a responsibility to do as much as I can with them. Um, I think it's very hard to to think that you're squandering what somebody else gave you. Mm. I think that drives me the most. Yeah, it's a gift that you've been given. And it's like a responsibility to, yes. It's it's not just supposed to be showered on you so that you can, you know, sit pretty and relax. It is a tool that you're supposed to use for the betterment of others, for the betterment of your situation. And there is a great responsibility that I feel to do that. And it's always this, and that's something I'm working on now, is because there is this toss-up between what feeds the ego and what feeds the soul. And I'm trying to align those so that that I'm doing the work that I'm supposed to be doing and having the impact I'm supposed to have. Because sometimes you just, you know, you just want a pat on the back and you want a nice check and you, you know, you want all those things. And there might be a discord with what your true calling is supposed to be and Mm -hmm. what your true act is supposed Mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. I'm constantly trying to reconcile that. Can we explore that a bit more? Because I'm curious about that. To what degree does it move into ego? Or is it like it's okay to have those wonderful things that we want in life and pursue our purpose and have our attention on others? Like we, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. We could have both. Yes. And then there is a point where it might be about our ego. Mm-hmm. And how do we know the difference? How do you know the difference for you? Yeah. Well, I'm still working on that. So I, I'll, <laughs> I'll give an example because I think I think the conference gives a, a great context to that. This national conference, it is the major conference for our discipline. So you go there. There's thousands of people there. What is common practice is so everyone has a name tag, and people are looking at your name tag to see what school affiliation you have to see if they should be bothered talking to you or not. Right. Right? You feel a way about not being the person that should be spoken to. Right. But by the same token, it is those institutions that often do the work of helping to lift people out of their situation so that they can move on, take care of their families, do all the things that they want to do. You're in my classroom. I have a responsibility, one, to impart all the lessons that I've learned on you um, within our discipline, but two, to be your support so that, you know, I know that having your degree is going to make a difference. Yeah. And I can't be in the way of that. I have to be part of the process that facilitates you to your next point. Yeah. Uh, you know, it those that kind of work takes place at you know certain types of institutions, and so if that is your soul's purpose and that's what you're there for, you pay attention to that. Yeah, in those moments at the conference where they're doing that, like, are you are you worthy of my attention? Peace, mm-hmm. and they walk away, whether they stay or walk away. That choice point, which happens in many places when mm-hmm. we're at those kind of events. Yeah. 
as they try and figure out, should I spend time with you? Then do I make it me have something about my self-worth? Do I take it? So that's where the ego is like, do I start to take it personally? Does like suddenly I'm not worthy? I'm not, or do I, do I stand in who I am in my, in the integrity of who I am, in the authenticity of who I am and know that it doesn't phase me. It's just like, okay, so I'm just not talking to you. This, exactly. There's like 9,000 other people that I could be talking to right now. So... <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's it and it is it is that choice point that you pointed out so perfectly is is this a reflection of me do I take it on as a reflection of me or do I realize that I'm doing what I am meant to be doing and I'm going to move on what's been your biggest challenge is that it or is there something else that you would say that's your biggest challenge I think my biggest challenge is a personal thing that i continue to struggle with and it is not taking myself so seriously that I get in my own way of doing the things that I want to do. That is constant conversation that I have to have with myself of um, get over it, just do it. And it's in, in every step of the way, it really is. All right, enough, get over yourself, just do what you want to do. And so that has been a struggle. It is still a struggle. I I want it to be less of a struggle. So that's something that I'm constantly working on. Right. And when you say you, like when you say that, can you say more about what is it that you, this conversation that you're having with yourself that's before you say, get on with it? What's the piece of it that... It is that, um, it is the self-judgment and it is the, um, the judgment that you project onto others of what you are doing. Um, and you know, in reality, maybe no one cares what I'm doing, right? <laughs> so I, I've had this whole conversation with, well, they're going to say this, this, and this, and probably, oh, you did that? That's great. Nice. And so it's that, because that is, uh. You know, that's a real conversation that if you allow it, will stop your progress. Right. Yeah. What would people think about me? Mm-hmm. Uh, why am I doing it? Who do you think you are? What that kind of thing? Why do you, yeah. why do you want to do that? Don't be so ridiculous. You can't do that. And then, it's, and then afterwards, like, just get on with it. Just get on with it. Just do it. Nobody cares. Nobody cares that. Like people will comment on it, but it, it might be fodder for gossip for five seconds, and then they move on about their own business. Right. They're not them. Just do what you want to do, you know. And so it's that, right? I think the on the other side of that is that um, we spend a lot of time talking about um, the obstacles against us. And using that as fuel. And I think it becomes easier to, for some people, and for me in particular, it becomes easy, easier to use people's contrarian views as a way to fuel your progress than it is to be use people's support. Not everybody's against you. Some people really want you to succeed. And sometimes we're not ready for that. We're not ready for people who are watching and rooting and want us to do great mm. things, want us to move on. And we have a hard time using that as fuel. Mm. 
And so um, I think that's a challenge, you know, especially if, you know, you've interviewed all of these wonderful, you know, beautiful women who people want to see do well, right? And so how do we make sure that we don't see that as pressure, but as, um, as energy for our success? Yes, yes. Yeah, I really want that to be that's why that's why this podcast, you know, that yeah, it's about how does it how do we use it as fuel for us to go, I can do that, let's go. Like I began in my own way, let's go. Versus like, oh, I should have more drive. What's the matter with me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not the response I want out there. Like, why can't I be like Chalet or why can't I be like Nicola? No, yeah. No, I can be like Chalet and I can be like Nicola because you can. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, that, that, that I'm in my, that I'm in my own way. I have to, man, I have the same conversation with myself, you know, as I, as I go through it. And it is part of our, um, we, the, you know, there's a, there's work that's done on the phases for ch- towards change. And right. then one of the phases is contemplation. You know, as we th- we think about how do I want to do it? What do I want to be? Where do I want to go? Should I do it this way? But if we st- if we stay in contemplation, that's the problem. When we start to go, it's not really me. What was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, no, don't stay there. It's supposed to be part of the journey. It's not the journey itself, you know? Right. Uh, right. Yeah, so that's, yeah, it is a big challenge. Like, I'm the kind of person who I will go to the store and I will shop and I'll pick up things that I want. So I'm, I'm going towards the back of the store to the fitting room. I may like it, but on my way out, I start contemplating, I don't need this, why should, and I start putting things back on the, on the rack and I leave with nothing. And that is, like, that is a metaphor for the challenge that I'm talking about. I don't wanna pick up all of these things, have all these tools for my success, and then start talking myself out of it and putting right. everything back on the rack as I leave. Right. And knowing that about yourself. So what do you, what's, how do you intervene it then? You know, I know you, what you, what you say is, what you said was you say, okay, just get on with it. You know, at some point, do you know what, where the point comes before that? You know, it's just like where the point comes before you intervene? No, I'm still working on that. Okay. So, some things are easier, right? So, like, if I write this paper, um, when I have to send it out for a review, I'm literally anxious. Like, my heart is racing, and I um, I know that I'm about to send myself, because really this is a reflection of my work, but out for criticism. But one, there's a due date. Two, I want it to be reviewed. So I just kind of take deep breaths, say a prayer about allowing myself um, the openness to be a part of this process and then I click send but that has that is part of the, the ritual of getting myself out there um, sometimes it is uh, you know it's always prefaced with a prayer that is for certain mm-hmm. um, sometimes it is doing a small thing so that now I'm on the track to doing something because as long as I do, if I do nothing, then I haven't moved. But if I do one thing towards it, then, so I'm getting much better at doing the one thing to keep me yes. moving. 
keep yes. on eating. It's that eating elephant in little bites. Yes. Right? One step at a time so I don't get overwhelmed by the thought of my impending success and potential for failure and all the things that swirl around my mind. It is, okay, let's do this one thing. Make a phone call, send an email, right. write whatever it is so that I keep that, you know, I better manage that process. Yes. Yeah, as long as you take one action towards where you want to be, it gets you into action as a way of managing the overwhelm. Yeah, as we say, you say said that, how do you eat an elephant? In bite-sized chunk, if you're going to eat an elephant, of course. In well, bite-sized <laughs> chunk. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I wanted to come to something that I found on when I was doing my research on you online and <laughs> it was this site that's I am I am black dot us dot us maybe it's I am black dot us is the and you say uh in here we are strong because we have to be and we are beautiful because we are designed to be. When I think of being black, I'm reminded that God makes no mistakes and that knowledge has been my greatest blessing. And that knowledge has been my greatest blessing. It's such a, it's so beautiful. I just had to read it. Can you share how this, how this project came to be? And then a little bit about the words that you've put here in this. It's a, it's a, photojournalist project so can you share a bit more about that yeah so um a few years ago my husband met um eugene foster who um, is the curator of the project um, and he's been working for a long time on this on really capturing um different stories of what being black means to you um and so we participated. It was a great pleasure to do so. He takes beautiful pictures, first of all. Um, and just the idea of it was wonderful. Um, and when, when, you, when you're asked about being Black, at least from my perspective, it really takes me back as, um, one, as a, as a parent of Black young women, and what that meant to me to want to instill in them. And then as what I received to be able to give that to them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm, I am a black woman raised in America and needless to say that comes with its own challenges. Um, but when I went to elementary school, I went to an all black um, private school. And it is amazing what growing up in an all-Black community does for you, especially as somebody who, um, who lives in a, you know, in a diverse area where that doesn't necessarily have to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I saw it in retrospect, the kind of... Um, the kind of power that it gives you to see that um, this monolithic view that society gives you of black people is not what it is, right? And you need that information. You need that 
knowledge deep within you to know that it takes all kinds, we come in all kinds, and that you as the power structure cannot relegate black people to one definition of what it means to be black. Yes. Um, and that that was definitely the gift that I got as um, a young person because it never dawned on me um, early on of what black people couldn't do. And that actually is where my dissertation came from because fast forward, I went to um, grad school in Florida, which was really South Georgia because it was definitely um, all vestiges of the South. There was such a fundamental sense that black people were supposed to know their place. And it was so foreign to me, it really had a profound impact on me. Um, and it was, it fueled my research on understanding how identity affects decision making and what people saw as a, a major risk. And when you talk about knowing your place, Anything you do that you think is outside of that really is a risk for you where, you know, for us, that was just another opportunity. It was just another choice that you made. And it was that idea that I took when um, looking at schools for the girls, because um, in New York, I mean, I don't know about other places, but in the city, there is really a push for um, to send children to these elite private schools. Mm -hmm. But I always had a hard time doing it because I kept um, countering what the educational experience would be like versus what the social experience would be like. And right. would take care of my black daughters? Would you be able to... Um, not carry that monolithic view of what you think black people are and put that on them. Mm -hmm. And that is that when I talk about that knowledge of understanding um, the, the source of our strength and the, um, the recognition of our beauty, to know that that is where the strength of your upbringing lies. That's what I wanted for the girls because in the end, and maybe I was wrong, you know, only the future will tell, but I felt like the education part, I could figure that out no matter where they went. But that I have to leave you for hours on the day with my black daughter who needs to know the strength of her beauty and needs to know that um, she is sufficiently armored so that everything is not a battle because that's mm -hmm. exhausting that is where we really wear ourselves out if we have if every small thing becomes this battle for us how do we make it to the big things yes. and i did want the girls to be that i wanted to girls the girls to have really a clear picture of black strength and black beauty and black love and then be able to take that and navigate the world with that you know because mm -hmm. harder without it. I think that was a gift that I got being, um, just not even knowing, just being doused with this sense of love and strength and, you know, just black people. And it's not, it wasn't anti-white. That was the joy of it. It's, it's, it was what 
you know, it's it was what white people enjoy. That sense it's just us. It's just us doing our thing, not right. thinking about other people. And that is what I wanted for them because there is a freeness to that that opens it, it opens mental space for you to take on the world. And mm. Felt like I got that from my experience, and that I wanted to make sure that my daughters got that for this new world that they're navigating. Oh wow! Yeah, that if you are when you're in an environment where you're not trying to second guess, and you don't have to question, and you're not, and also when you're getting positive affirmations about who you are, and and that it really feeds your identity in a really strong, positive way that is not the norm when you're in uh, mixed environments right. and when you're in or where you where you're sitting in the predominant culture so yeah so then you walk away where we are strong because we have to be and we are beautiful because we are designed to be when i think of being black i'm reminded that god makes no mistakes and that knowledge has been my greatest blessing i really there's so such poetic and strong words. I might have that up in my office, actually, in my room. I think they're beautiful. Thank you. Um, if you had to speak to Chalet, the younger Chalet, what would you say to her? I would definitely say to a younger Chalet, keep moving, keep working, but keep your perspective. Because I think when you lose perspective, well, I should talk to me. When I lost perspective, it clouded my judgment and it made me much more anxious than I needed to be about the future and my place in it. You are a blessed individual as long as you take care of your responsibilities with those blessings, you're going to be all right. And in the end, that's what we want. I want to know that I'm going to be all right. And I think that I would tell her that I am. Thank you so much for this interview. I've loved it. I'm so glad you invited me. I really appreciate it. To have heard your story, you know, there's so much, there's so many, there's your personal story, but there's also this bigger kind of like, if you're thinking of a PhD, if you're, you know, like this program that you're on and your mom and yeah, she's, Sounds like a woman with drive. Love those women with drive. Yes, love those women with drive. Love those women with drive. Hashtag. Uh, yeah, so thank you so much. It's been so wonderful. And uh, I look forward to when we get to kind of hang out together. Absolutely. Again. Again. Absolutely. Thanks, Shirley. I hope you've been really inspired to shift gears in your own life out of today's episode. I always love to hear from you. So... If you go over to my page at ShirleyMcAlpine.com, leave me a comment about what you're getting, what insights you're seeing, how you're making changes in your own life as a result of the episode and the wonderful people that you're hearing from. She's Got Drive is produced by Cassandra Fortalina, music by the awesome female band Blonde. If you want to connect with me, go online, follow me on Instagram at Consulting. Or I'm on Twitter at Shirley McAlpine. You can always head over to our Facebook page, She's Got Drive. I'd love to hear from you there. If you're loving the show, 
why don't you subscribe on iTunes so you can get automatic downloads each week when a new episode is published. I'd love to you to give a review if you're feeling it too. And head over to my page on shirleymcalpine.com. If you head over to the website, then you can get a download of how to be a woman with drive. These are my top tips, having spent years coaching women on how to up their game, how to be more impactful, increase their presence. And so I've just put together some tips for you to take on your life. So head over to shellymcalpine.com and you can get a free download when you sign up. Thank you again for listening. Until next time, go well and stay well.